Hello, welcome to another Pharmacy in Practice podcast. Before we start this podcast, I would just like to say a huge thank you to our new supporters, Wiley & Bissett. So Wiley & Bissett are a, an accountancy firm from Glasgow and they specialise in the healthcare sector and they have very kindly agreed to support the Pharmacy and Practice podcast going forward. So a little bit about Wiley & Bissett. Wiley & Bissett are leading financial specialists in the healthcare sector. In addition to their core accountancy services role, they're also zero platinum partners, experts in cloud accounting and provide benchmarking reports so you can see how you compare to others in the pharmacy sector. If you'd like to get in touch, feel free to contact our friend and colleague Laura Smith today at wileybissett.com. Thank you. So hello, welcome to another Pharmacy Practice podcast. It's been a while. I think the last time I've done a podcast was was before before Christmas um, 2020. Now we're in March already. So yeah, very, very pleased to be joined by um, a healthcare development um, manager and partner at Wiley Bissett, Laura Smith. Um, so Wiley Bissett is a, a specialist uh, accountancy firm based in Glasgow and they, and they, um, they have a big uh, client base of healthcare um, clients, so pharmacies, dentists, uh, care homes and that, that kind of thing. So um, obviously Laura's expertise is, is excellent. So I mean, the, the, there was a reason I got I got Laura on the, on the podcast this morning, and that was basically to talk about the well, maybe not dreaded. I mean, Laura can maybe fill me in, but um, the dreaded IR thirty five that's going to you know have a probably quite a significant impact on on everybody in in pharmacy really, and and obviously in in dentistry and and um, care homes as well. But we're going to focus on pharmacy. So Laura, before we dive into that, how how are you today? I see you're in uh, sunny Glasgow there. <laughs> yes, I am well, thank you. Uh, trip to the office today, so it's it, it was fairly pleasant this morning. So yeah, we're after yesterday's announcement, we're we're starting to gear up towards what the reopening may look like and in the months ahead. So it's my role today today to check mail and, and everything else. But no, I'm well, thanks, and uh, looking forward to having a a discussion on IR thirty five. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, how our expectations have changed. I I booked a a slot at the recycling centre for my wife. And she was very very excited about that. So. The the excitement so, yeah, of lockdown. Anyway. It's amazing. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, anyway, to business. So this IR35 is um, is coming now. Before before I go on, I need to do the like. The legal bit. This is this is a general conversation um, about IR35. This is certainly not advice. Um, you know, if you need advice, where else to go but Wiley Business? I would I would warmly recommend them. And um, you know, on that note, thank you very much for um, for coming on and, and taking the time, Laura. So. We're going to have a have a chat about IR35 and some of the implications. So I guess a good place to start is what on earth is it? Okay, so actually it's not a new thing, eh, believe it or not. However, it, it's it, the developments of IR35 and certainly the changes that are about to uh, come into force on the 6th of April, um, in particular, you know, the pharmacy sector, and know it pretty well. Um, it, it's definitely something we have to think about. I mean, in the 
most simplistic terms, IR35 is tax legislation. So two words that perhaps um, are not pleasant uh, to hear. However, you know, it is what it is. We have to start thinking about it. We have to start thinking about it now. It's you know HMRC's opportunity to review contractors, limited companies, locums, all the different types of businesses and company structures and actually take a closer look at those agreements between um, the end user and the individuals and see actually is it what they normally call disguised remuneration packages, so disguised employment. So in the absence of a limited company or a locum agency, for example, if said pharmacist did not have that limited company structure or were not contracted with a local agency and they went to work for Boots or Lloyds or an independent pharmacy, in the absence of that limited company or local agency, would they be an employee? And that then brings us into the realms of let's review the practicalities of the relationship and almost takes us back to the basic employment detail of employment test. So, yeah, in the simple terms, it's, it's tax avoidance. Um, sorry, it's tax legislation trying to achieve um, disguised remuneration, disguised employment that HMRC feel these types of, of agreements between individuals with their limited companies or local agencies and with the end user, be it the pharmacy that they're working in, there's a loss of employers' national insurance because in their view, perhaps some of these agreements actually are a contractual relationship employee employer so there's quite a lot to think about um it's you know in terms of the, the legislation itself and it's not one size fits all so we do have to you know our advice to our clients is whether you're a locum or a pharmacy owner there'll be different implications different things to consider and um, different processes perhaps to implement and it will be different depending on where you sit within that business. But even you know, all locums will not be affected in the same way. Similarly, all pharmacy owners will not be affected in the same way. So yeah, quite quite a bit to think about um, and, and not much time left to, to start to think about it. Or So I would hope most people have at least thought about it. Um, but yeah, quite a bit of work to do, I think, over the next few weeks just to satisfy um, yourself as a business owner or as a locum that you have, you're ticking all the boxes and that you're keeping yourself right and minimising risk essentially and the last thing you want to do is for HMRC to, to come and chat your door even if you can successfully challenge anything that HMRC puts your way it's you know it can be a stressful experience it can be a costly experience and extremely time consuming so you want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah perfect so I mean as someone who now runs uh, a limited company myself um, the legislation certainly won't apply to us because of the services we're providing. But um, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to say with tax, you, you can never have your cake and eat it. In fact, there's often not even a cake there to eat. Um, and yeah, you're right. You don't want to. You, you don't want to get surprised because that's what happens if you if, if you stumble into a tax error, uh, even accidentally. What what you'll get down the line is 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 the revenue basically catching up um so i'm gonna i mean part of this was just to signpost people i mean we've we've done a few articles on ir35 on pharmacy practice already and yeah those have been really good contributions but i think 
Um, whilst this organization don't necessarily um, give tax advice like us, um, I think their advice is pretty, um, and signpost is pretty good. So it's the, it's the Pharmacist Defense Association. So I, I, I highly recommend folk go to their website and have it a read around, search IR35 and, and it'll come up. And on their website, so I'm gonna give them a, a direct plug here. They, they talk about what is a small company under IR35. So basically two or more of the following must apply for a client to be deemed a small company and therefore not in capitals to be responsible for implementing IR35 and deducting any due tax. So number one, so you need two of the following criteria. So number one, turnover not more than 10.2 million. Number two, balance sheet not more than 5.1 million. And number three, not more than 50 employees. So I think I mean, I'm going to ask you another couple of questions in a second, but this is really, I mean, there are a number of individuals and companies who this might um, affect, basically, but it's really looking at those individual locums that run their locum services through a limited company. Would that be fair to say, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's possibly two elements of, of, of this here. I think in terms of locums running their limited companies who then contract via the limited company with the end pharmacy user shall we say for, for the provision of the locum services but actually I think there's probably and this is perhaps maybe where there is a little bit more work to do on, on the business side um, of, of things for the business owners so if, if we take the, the small business exemption for IR35 you know we have to as a as a pharmacy, as a business owner, we have to have a think about do we meet that small exemption criteria? Because if we do meet it or if we don't meet it, then there's different rules and procedures that we have to follow. And actually it determines on who, where is the onus of responsibility for determining the IR35 status of that contractor? Because that, that's a crucial point. So the individual person, i.e. The, the local pharmacist, if they are working for a small business, then the onus is on them to determine their contractor status and determine whether or not they are inside or outside IR35. If it's a medium or large size business, then from the 6th of April, the onus is actually on that business to determine of those individual contractors of, they may have you know, quite a few, depending on the size of the business, the onus is on the company to determine the contractor status of that individual and then they have to supply a status determination statement to that independent contractor. Now the the locum, so, so, so I suppose that there's two sides to that, there's how does it affect locums and how does it affect the businesses and, and where does it all fit in, so actually it affects you know the whole pharmacy sector it's just where you fit into that pharmacy sector whether you're a locum or whether you're a business owner and where does the onus lie and i think that's where advice is important in the early stages because it may be that you can tick all the boxes to say we meet the small business exemption the onus is on the independent contractor or, or vice versa but if you can get it right from when the new rules kick in in the 6th of april 2021 we would always, you know, suggest that annual reviews and, and you know, timely reviews of these matters. Whenever anything changes, we should 
these things should always be the forefront of your mind. But you know, it goes without saying pharmacists are, are pharmacists and they're being pharmacists and they're running a business. Um, so you know, I don't go into a doctor, I go to a pharmacist and tell them how to do their job. So quite often they're, they're, their focus, as it should be, is on being a pharmacy and delivering that service and, and running a business if they have a business to run. Um, and even locums still have a business to run, they're still compliant requirements on accounts and tax. But actually, yeah, the crucial point is take a review now um, in advance of these rule changes and, and keep on top of it. Um, it might be that you don't have to change anything, but at least you can satisfy yourself that you've undertaken that review. You know, you, you've sought advice if you if you feel you need to seek advice on it. Um, it is a complex area. You know, quite often HMRC. Um, you know, in terms of they haven't been hugely successful in, in IR35 cases. There was a Kay Adams and Lorraine Kelly case not too long ago where they successfully challenged it. So I think it's you know there's still a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of complexities. Um, and for me, I think the key is to to look at the locum position or locum pharmacies operating their, their limited companies or even those who work via a locum agency, but also for the business owners as well, because actually um, it, there's different requirements for them. The rules capture them all in some way or another. To what extent is what we have to determine, what we have to assess and what we have to perhaps implement procedures or, or say, issue these status determination statements that can then subsequently be appealed by the locums, at which case, you know, potentially you have a disagreement between pharmacy business owner and locum operating via the limited company because the business is saying, well, actually, we feel that you're inside or outside IR35 and then the locum challenges that because, because they disagree. And I think for me, on, on for the, certainly for the locums as well, you know, they might use this as an opportunity to reflect. Now, companies are set up to allow, you know, tax efficient planning for remuneration planning. You know, you, you have your company set up and, and it allows you to review the company structure, make sure it's the right structure for your business. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a degree of flexibility in how you pay yourself uh, via a company as opposed to an employee. But I wonder if, you know, locums, you know, a bit of time of reflection, this is happening, it's coming into force from the 6th of April 2021. HMRC have suggested in the first year they might be, you know, quite relaxed on, on penalties for non-compliance, um, but that still shouldn't, you know, you still shouldn't use that as an opportunity just to bury your head in the sand. So, yeah, I think that there, there's quite a lot to think about for, for the locums. Um, and as I say, time of reflection for them, are they going to take a step back and say, well, yes, I've got a bit of degree of flexibility by being a locum of the India limited company, but actually I'm losing out on holiday pay, on sick pay, and actually on reflection, maybe they feel that they are an employee, you know, it might now suit them, their circumstances may have changed. So actually, I think, you know, there, there's a wider issue here um, for locums and business owners to reflect. Is it the right company structure in place? How does IR35 impact that? Because they may make decisions that can change their whole company structure and the way they, the way they do business. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about. It's, it's a huge, huge area and lots of stuff has come to mind. But, I mean, again, um, public service broadcasting here, um, you know, and broke a broken record for me, but I guess... With all these unknown unknowns, well, there are some known unknowns, I guess, coming down the track, but there are a few unknown unknowns as well. So we really don't know how all this is going to shake out and what the actual consequences on the ground for the business owner and the, the, um, you know, the, the well, as a moot point, the employee in inverted commas, 
um, or, or contracted company, you know. So I guess it goes back to, you know, get in touch with um, with your accountant, uh, maybe while they miss it, maybe not, um, and, you know, seek advice so that you're on the front foot. Because you're right, the revenue may well be lenient initially, I'm not sure on that, but um, better to be, better to be, Correct from the start. On a on a slightly separate note, I did, and this will sort of date this uh, podcast because I was listening to the radio this morning and I noticed that Uber lost a case um, about employment status, and I'm not sure in the details of it, but basically it, it, there's a move towards Uber drivers becoming considered to be more employees, and I, I understand there's still some uh, contention within that. For example, when does the Uber driver start? Do, do they, I, think, I think the drivers collective want to be recognized as an employee from when they log on to the app, whereas Uber at the moment, I believe, um, or this judgment has decided that they only become an employee when they're actually engaged in a job. But anyway, regardless of that, it's kind of semantics, isn't it? Because this is where they're going. The revenue have seen you know, in my opinion, they've they've seen this gig economy. They've seen the casual, the you know the the increase in in sort of casual labour, as it were, rather than employed status. And they've I think they've thought someone some boffin somewhere in 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 the government has thought, ah, uh-uh, we better we better get on top of this because there's a lot of activity happening potentially out with our um scope of influence. So. And what I mean, this is maybe quite a tricky question, Laura. But what, what do you think? So let's start with the. Let's say I'm a pharmacist locum, right? And I I'm trading with a, a limited company, and I'm let's say I do thirty thousand pounds worth of work per year. What um and and I, you know, for for just for discussion sake, like I, maybe there I do the odd ad hoc day, but I also have. A contracted date. Well, you know, I'm I'm not contracted, but I'm I'm I go to the same pharmacy every Monday. What do you think the impact on me is, and and is that the ideal sort of candidate to really have a look at this? Yeah, basically, you know, certainly, well, it's very difficult because you know, quite often there's a perception that if there is anything in writing, there is a contract there, and and you know, certainly for the some of the pharmacy associations they encourage locum agreements in place you know and the same for gp locums as well because ultimately you know at the end of the day everybody's running a business whether you're the locum or whether you're the the pharmacist requiring that locum so everybody has to have a degree of certainty to ensure there's you know sufficient resourcing within their business so i think you know let's just go back to your your scenario of, of the locum pharmacist you know i think there's quite a few things to think of there in terms of is it one customer? So are you going to the same pharmacy? You may, yes, you may be going, you know, every Monday is your locum day because you might be employed three days a week or whatever, and you're using this one day a week via your limited company to top up your income. So is your, you know, do you only have one customer or are you, you know, the first Monday of every month you go to pharmacy A and then the second pharmacy B? So so that's quite an important um, factor in determining the status. So, how many customers do you have that different pharmacies that that you go to? Um, that you know, how how are you paid? Are you paid an hourly rate? Are you paid a daily rate? You know, do you have control over you know what you do, when you do it? What about you know lunch hours? These types of things. You know, is there the expectation that that pharmacy will offer you 
every Monday and you have an obligation to accept every Monday. So, you know, there's a whole list and there's quite a few, um, you know, IR35 checklists out there. Um, and, and what I would say, you know, certainly for the pharmacy, you know, it, it's a particular sector that it has its own, you know, quirks, as, as I would call it, in terms of, you know, how it actually operates in, in practical terms. Because a lot of the advice out there, and certainly HMRC's employment indicator tool is generic. It doesn't take into account how the pharmacy sector works for, for locums and the provision of locum services. Um, and actually, we've run tests for quite a few of our pharmacy and GP clients who are locums, and it's come back as employees. So I think you know that's certainly something. If, if you take you know were to take much away from the podcast um, today, certainly from my point of view, is the starting point is to run the CES tool on in HMRC's website. However, don't be overly alarmed if it comes back to seeing an employee, because actually it's based on the facts. It's based on a number of factors. It's not based on one individual factor. You know the financial risk, the structure of your business, who's in control, is there an obligation of of, of provision of that one day a week, two days a week, and an acceptance of it. How many customers do you have? Do you provide your own equipment? Do you have financial risk? And one of, you know, quite an a crucial point as well is um, the right of substitution. So if you're a, you know, a genuine self-employed person or, or locum, if you, you know, you're, you're scheduled to be in on a Monday or on a Sunday evening, you know, you fall ill or something crops up and you can't make it. Who's responsible for filling that gap? You know, are you able to say as a genuine self-employed person, you know, such and such, you can go in in your place, or actually does the onus fall on the pharmacy themselves to find a replacement for you? So I think that's a really crucial point about um, the HMRC CEST tool, which is generally the starting point for, for a lot of people who feel actually they maybe don't need to go for official formal advice from their accountant or tax advisor. They'll go onto HMRC's website, you know, be really honest on that because you need an accurate reading. Um, but you know, on, on the other side of the coin, there is the chances are it may come back. Having having done it ourselves for a few clients, for for local clients, more often than not, it comes back saying we are an employee. That might not be the reality of the circumstances. And at that stage, that's where I would say it's probably worth a discussion with with your your accountant, your tax advisor, whoever it might be, because we have to take into account how the sector works. The reality of the relationship and the agreement. Um, I like to avoid use of the word contract because I think quite often when you say contract, quite everybody just thinks employment, um, and it's not necessarily the case. So yeah, for for locums, you know, I think if you have a limited company, you have one customer. Are you at risk of, of being caught by the IR thirty five rules? Yes, you are. However, the onus depending on who you who that customer or who that pharmacy is for you will depend on where the onus falls for you to determine the status. Um, and again, it, it perhaps it might be difficult conversations. You know, there could be challenges ahead for the sector um, as a result of this. You could have locums now all saying, not all saying, but you know, a, a majority of them circumstances, everybody on reflection, do they want the security of now being employed given what's happened with COVID? You know, you, you just don't know how, how people's minds are, are now starting to play out. And, and that comes with increased costs for pharmacy owners so you know does the the locum rates now become even more competitive than, than they otherwise are but also for pharmacy owners there's the employer's national insurance that would be due if said locum was on a 30,000 say annual fee across the, the year 
that becomes quite a bit more if they're on the books at 30,000 because they've got their employer's national insurance and there's also pension implications as well, you know, auto enrollment. So, so all, there's so much to think about. What could become a 30,000 low-income agreement could then cost you quite a bit more because you both agree that it should be employee-employer. The locum's quite happy to come on as an employee, but that has cost implications um, for the business. Um, so, yeah, whilst I think locum and pharmacy owners, you know, on the review of the IR35 and where the onus falls on determining the status are, are quite separate. It all comes into the round, and I think that you know there certainly are, there's going to be big decisions and potentially some challenges ahead for for the pharmacy sector, whether it's for, for the business owners or for locums as well. Because there's holiday pay, you know, the holiday yeah, pay, yeah. sick pay provision of, of that employee rights, but also there's there's obligations as well for on the um, employer. Because the employees have rights when they sign a contract, they have holiday pay entitlement. You know, and if you think of if you have, let's say, a Monday, you have a locum pharmacist, and you know you will get a locum pharmacist every Monday, whether it's the same or not. You know, just now is is not my point. What my point is is if you have a locum that covers your Monday, that cost, yes, it may vary depending on whether you have one locum or four locums over the year covering it. But if that pharmacist moves from locum to employee status, you know, what happens those six weeks where they have holiday? So you might be paying for your employee as an employer, but when they're on holiday for six months or whatever a year, you're going to have additional locum costs on top of that. Whether if you just have a Monday locum provision, you know, yes, some, some rates may, may be slightly different or, or whatever, but you're almost doubling up in costs where you have the employee because you're still going to need locum cover for the holiday periods. And um, so I think there's, there's there's huge decisions that I'm not quite sure these decisions will immediately have come to to the minds of pharmacy owners and locums just on the mention of IR45. So um, yeah, I think loads of really good discussions to be had. It's just making sure that they are being had and that everybody knows what they have to do to meet the requirements of tax legislation, but also as well what's best for their business. Yeah, I totally agree, and and it's really interesting to hear you, you speak about it, Laura, because you clearly know an awful lot more about it than I do. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right, really. I think um, it's what I mentioned earlier on. There's there's known unknowns. We know what's happening, but there are also unknown unknowns, and 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 I think again the problem. I think the problem with this is that pretty much every situation is individual. You know. Um, I mean, I, I use that example, oh, I go to work in a pharmacy every Monday, but it could be every, you know, once a month on a Monday or something. You know, it's, there's, there's, there's all manner of uh, com combinations of potential situations. And also, I have, I have had a couple of conversations with um, some pharmacy owners and contractors and I shouldn't say the word contractors, sorry, <laughs> uh, pharmacy owners in Scotland. And... Um, one of them in particular was like, "Oh, to hell with this! I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get rid of all locums and I'm just gonna take everyone on as a relief pharmacist." Yeah. Now, that person ha owned more more than one pharmacy, so that might that might actually yeah. work, um, yeah. you know, and, and people could cover each other and so on. But yeah. but again, it's going as you say, it's gonna gonna lead to tricky conversations and and probably yeah. ultimately cost. Would that be fair to say for the pharmacy? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely, because I do, you know, certainly the, the pharmacy clients that, that we have potentially are, are, you know, on the same kind of a thought process as well. I think perhaps, 
you know, multi-site pharmacy owners, yes, it's much easier to cross cover, but what about, you know, your, your independent single site or, you know, even if they've just got maybe, you know, two sites or whatever, you, you have to think of your, your resourcing. So I do think that, yeah, potentially costs could, could increase. Um, and I suppose my, you know, Quite often when you have when you're approached by clients to do an IR35 review or have these types of discussion, you know, it is it is complex, there's a lot to think about because it is based on, on individuals. There's all the factors to take into account, there's the sectors to take into into account. You know, there's there's making sure the client understands what they have to do and what, what the potential implications are, you know, for that. And quite often when you present, we we're very upfront with our fees. So, you know, before we um agree to carry out the work you know we always have an initial chat to find out what the scope of the work is but we would agree a fee up front and quite often you know there's difficult conversations to have because they don't often see the benefit in paying us as an accountant for, for this type of advice i suppose all i would say on that is will there be accountancy and advisory charges in doing this yes it would depend on where we go to for that but actually it may open up other doors on, on a review of, you know, are, is your business correctly structured? And, you know, it could save you huge time and huge costs, you know, in the future. And um, so actually just saying this is happening on the 6th of April, we have to have a think about it. It maybe we don't have to do anything because we are not as affected. But for me, you know, I always think as a business owner, you know, it's there's risks in every aspect of the business. For me, if I was let's just say, you know, a shareholder in a, in a pharmacy business or indeed any business, and this was coming up, would I want, a, you know, a board meeting, an accountings meeting, the fact that this had been raised and noted and minuted to say, it's been raised, we're not affected, we don't have to change anything for whatever reason, um, and I won't suggest what that might be because it could be different for, you know, across the board, depending on your own individual circumstances and whether you're a working a business owner, but actually just to say we have thought about it, we have addressed it, we don't have to do anything or actually we do have to do anything we do have to do something and here's what we're going to do to make sure we are we are fully compliant um, the, the key here is what is the loss to hmrc well the loss to hmrc i suppose that there's two aspects of it there's the business who if the the agreement is shown to be that of employee employer relationship there's employers national insurance so that that's where the business owner would be affected um, so there's the loss of employers, national insurance, but also, uh, you know, an individual operating via um, a, a locum operating via a limited company, then if they are able to structure their company income in such a way that's tax efficient, you know, salary dividend consideration and how that remuneration is, is, is coming out from the company, then they won't be paying, they will be paying you know, potentially on how they are structuring it, that there could be national insurance implications for them as well, plus tax implications, you know, because yes, the corporation tax rates are obviously uh, going to increase in, in the years to come after the budget um, the other week, but depending on how you're getting your money out of that company, then your own individual tax and national insurance and pension position to a certain extent um, could be affected as well. So, yeah, I think there's for, for, for one piece of tax legislation, there's so much, you know, to think about and so many implications, but unfortunately, it's not one size fits all. And what I would say you know, to one pharmacy is not necessarily what I would be chatting to another pharmacy about. I think, it, you know, the outcome for each individual locum versus pharmacy owner and all the other locums and pharmacy owners could potentially be 
quite uh, quite different. It depends on their own individual circumstances, and that's where I think you know a review. That's where it's important to really understand your client and understand their business and understand the sector because you know how things work um, and you know what to look out for. You know how their accounts will be prepared um, when you're doing the small business tests um, because you know quite often you know a year of a year of COVID. How has that impacted on, on accounts? So perhaps somebody who was a small business 12 months ago might now not be, or, or somebody who might have been medium or large size business might now fall into small business criteria. And um, so again, that probably comes back to timely preparation of accounts as well. You know, so it, yeah, it's IR35, it's tax legislation, but actually it's a really good opportunity, um, you know, really to get business affairs in order seek advice and really get that relationship going with your accountant and advisor where they understand your business really well because this fits into your business depending on how things are running and there's opportunities there to, to certainly explore to make sure that you know it's structured in the right way. Uh, pharmacy owners are sort of looking at this coming down the track and they're thinking oh my goodness not another thing yeah. especially after the year we've had but um, listen, Laura, it's been absolutely brilliant speaking to you. Um, some some really sensible um, and helpful advice, and um, I think I think the key I think the key message that I'm taking away is this is happening now. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. this is not this is not just a thing that you're reading about. This is happening on the first of April, um, and probably the best probably the best advice I would have is go go check out the PDA. Go check out, um, you know, uh, an accountant that could well be Wiley Bissett. Thank you for your time coming and um, informing us today. And um, absolutely, the third thing I suppose is go and have those sort of, you know, frank, open and honest conversations with um, either if you're the pharmacy owner with the, the people working for yeah. you or vice versa, with the, you know, um, the other way as well. So, yeah, thanks very much, Laura, and um, we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Yes, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.